Morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Who here has ever been disappointed in their life? Good. So hopefully this will be a bit relevant to uh, every single one of us here. I want to share with you my first memory of crushing disappointment. I shared this, uh, that I was going to do this, praying before the service, and somebody immediately guessed I was going to talk about football. <laughs> Let me tell you a story about football. Back when I was just a young 10-year-old, the World Cup in Italy happened. And as a young lad, I had no previous memories of England's failures at major footballing tournaments. I'd seen us qualify from the group stage. I'd watch us beat Belgium in the last 16, and then Cameroon, of all countries, in the quarterfinal. I was filled with a hope and an expectation that England would gloriously go on and win the World Cup. I was allowed to stay up late to watch England play the mighty West Germany and it was West Germany back then, in the semi-final. I remember seeing Gary Lineker score. I also remember Germany scoring, sadly, as well. The match went into extra time. I remember Chris Waddle hitting the post. And then I remember us losing on penalties. There was one penalty, wasn't where the ball went so high, it probably hasn't even come down even now. And I remember being so upset that a few tears trickled down my face at the end. That disappointment taught me one thing. Never put too much faith in the England football team. I lowered my expectations, and that has actually protected me quite well uh, from now, from, from then on. That's why the last World Cup was such a surprise, because we did so well and I wasn't expecting it. This morning, as uh, Thomas said earlier, we're looking at, at the question of how do we deal with disappointment uh, in God, and particularly in prayer, when we don't think God is there or is answering our prayers. What do we do when God is seemingly absent? Lowering expectations might be a really good thing to do with the England football team, but I don't think that's what God wants us to do when we're disappointed with him. We shouldn't, I believe, lower our expectations from God. It's not a healthy attitude to have. We believe in an all-powerful, all-loving God, don't we? We don't want to stop believing that he is all-loving and all-powerful when we're disappointed with him. So what do we do? I'm going to share with us this morning uh, three things I think we need to remember. There are three things that were actually in the, in the book, for those of you that are reading from Pete Gregg, that I just think are really, really helpful to remember when we have disappointments. I also want to share, uh, in a little bit more length, three things I think God wants us to do when we are disappointed. Because although we've been talking about prayer and saying how great it is and how we can be bold in our prayers and how we can go to God with, uh, with the things that are really on our heart and we can pray and we can ask about him and God does answer our prayers, I can guarantee, unless you are literally a brand new Christian, you will feel and sense that there have been prayers in your life that have been unanswered. So what do we do? 
Well, the three things to remember, these taken from Pete Gregg's uh, book, but I just think they're really, really helpful things to remember when we were having disappointment for, with God and he hasn't answered our prayer. And the first is this, we need to, uh, reasons why God doesn't answer is it's God's world. What, the, what Pete Gregg is basically saying in this is that God has set the world to work, hasn't he, in, in a certain basic way. There's laws of nature and there's uh, laws of science which govern sort of naturally how things work. And, and while God can step in and do miracles and, and break from the norm, that's not the normal way in which God has designed and made the world to work. You know, if you uh, drop lunch that you have uh, just bought from a shop at someone's house, gravity is going to do its thing. It's going to fall on the floor, uh, ruin your lunch, and make the carpet dirty. That happened in my house uh, this week. And we might pray, oh God, but it's very unlikely that he's going to suspend the law of gravity just for a second so you can pick up your lunch and hold it so the disaster doesn't happen. That's a silly example, but that happens in big things too. So we need to remember it's God's world and it's designed to work in a certain way. If we drop a brick on our toe, it will hurt. The second reason that God might not answer our prayer is that there's a war going on, it's God's war. Ultimately, we know God has defeated Satan and won the war, but the battle on earth is still going on, isn't it? Evil still exists on earth. That's why we come and we say prayers of confession, because we have not followed God's will and way in our lives. Sometimes bad stuff happens to us because we've made wrong choices or other people have made wrong choices and done evil. It's not God's will but it's the war against God's will. And the third thing is actually, it is God's will. This is when the thing that you didn't want to happen, God actually didn't want to happen for some reason. And we may not see or, or know it in a moment, perhaps even uh, this side of heaven. You know, I think I've shared before that when I was at university, I went through a really, really tough time. And at the time, I would have loved God to have stepped in and stopped me going through it for such a long period. But actually looking back now, I can sense God at work and with me during that time. And I'm glad I went through it because I learned a lot from it. Perhaps that was God's will to make me grow and become some of the person that I am today. But as well as remembering those three things. They're not, uh, they can be helpful, but what do we actually do when we're in those times of disappointment? I, want, I think there's three things that we can do. The first is this. Don't go through the disappointment alone. It was never, ever been God's will for humankind to live in isolation from others. You know, even in the Garden of Eden before sin was there, God made not just one human but two. He made Adam and Eve to be in relationship with one another. We're to be relate with one another in good times 
and with bad. I love in the book of Galatians, Paul uh, gives this advice to the, to the Christian church in Galatians 6. He, he says to each one, carry your own load. So what he means by that is uh, when you go through life, you carry the things that you need to carry for yourself to, to go through life, the things that you can manage. But then he also says, carry one another's burdens to the church. So you go through life carrying what you can manage, but the burdens, the things that weigh you down, the things that make you struggle, you are to share those amongst the community. You're not to go through those things that you find hard on your own. Our reading from the book of Daniel uh, has this situation of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they find themselves, it's not immediately apparent, but they're finding themselves in a very, very disappointing life situation. Life and circumstances which have been totally beyond uh, their control have led them to this point where they are about to be thrown into the blazing, fiery furnace by the king of the country that they have been exiled to. They've been taken out of Israel, it's been invaded, and they've been taken by force and made to work for and serve a foreign king in a land where the God is not their own, and where they're trying to be forced to worship another god. Yet somehow they seem to be able to remain faithful to this. And I think one of the key reasons why those three, and Daniel as well, who's also a key part of that book of Daniel, are able to remain faithful is because they, I believe, they have one another. They're not going through that situation alone. They are supporting and encouraging one another to do the right things in that incredibly difficult and disappointing circumstance. I was looking on a Facebook this week and there was like a, a, an English, a, a, an emotion wheel and in it there was what English people would say depending on how they feel, whether they feel joyful or whether they feel very stressed or, or anxious what English people say when they're asked the question, how are you? And in every single box, there was a little, there was two words. Fine, thanks. <laughs> we're not very good, uh, are, are we, English, about sharing how we're feeling. People ask us how we are, we say fine, thanks. But actually, that, that, that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to have people, friends, family, that we can go to, that we can share our disappointments with. This is even what Jesus modeled to us. Uh, Tom's speaking, I think, on this passage later on tonight, but in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, the, just before Jesus was about to be, be arrested and then taken away to be crucified, he, he goes off to pray. Have you ever noticed he didn't go off to pray on his own? He took his disciples, his, his friends, with them. And then before he, he prays to God, he, he tells these three closest disciples, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death Remain here and keep watch with me. He's having his friends around him. So when you're disappointed, and particularly when you're disappointed with God, who are your friends? Who are you going to go to and are going to walk through that time with you? It's best to invest in them now, perhaps if you're not going through a disappointed time to invest in them now so, so they're there. Small groups are, are a great way if you don't have those people to get to know and, and commit 
to sharing and being open and honest with one another about how things are going. You can join online or come speak to me afterwards. We've got people that pray here each Sunday that would love to pray through things with you. Don't go through your disappointments alone. And the second thing I think uh, we need to do is just keep trusting, living for God. Even in the troubles, this, uh, uh, the, um, even in, in, in the troubles, let's go back to that Garden of Gethsemane, even in that moment of anguish, what did Jesus do? He kept being faithful and trusting God. He was honest with his disappointments, uh, with God and what he was thinking. But he still wanted to trust God's will and God's way. That prayer he prayed, probably in earshot of his disciples that were with him, is my father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Yet the next line, but the next line is, yet not your will, not my will, but yours. The Bible is full of examples of people being honest with God, of keeping trusting him, of going to him, people wrestling with God. The Psalms, loads of them, almost seem a bit unbiblical, if I'm allowed to use that term, even though they're in the Bible. People saying, God, where are you? You've abandoned me. Evil people are prospering. Be honest with God. Keep coming to him, asking him. God is big enough to take our big questions. Be faithful to him, keep going to him, and keep living for him in your day-to-day. The the reason I chose that reading from Daniel is because I absolutely uh, love the words that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say to King Nebuchadnezzar when when he questions them. You know, uh, remind ourselves, these are people that have trusted God in very difficult circumstances. They've kept worshipping him. They've kept doing the right thing. And it's because of that now that they are on the brink of being thrown into the fiery furnace, about to be cremated alive. Yet even in that moment with one another, they still trust in God, even though everything else in the world screams against them. Don't, just do what King Nebuchadnezzar wants. I'm sure that's what's probably going on internally. It's what be going on internally in me. But let me read what they say. King Neb. I'm just going to shorten his name because it's quite long. We don't need to defend ourselves in this matter. In other words, they're saying, yep, we're guilty of what you say. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, then the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from it. What amazing confidence there, given that what has happened to them but they don't stop there. The next line seems to suggest that this confidence that they have that God has rescued them is not perhaps quite as much as that first line indicates, because they continue, don't they? Verse 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. They have confidence in who God is and what he's able to do on one hand, but they're also saying, 
But even if he doesn't do what we expect or want him to do, we're still going to trust him. We're still not going to do and behave or act in a way that we know is wrong. Perhaps they were hoping, I don't know, uh, that uh, King Neb would change his mind and not throw them into that, that furthest. But either way, they're making it clear that even in this time of great disappointment, they're going to keep being faithful and living for God in that moment. They're not going to cut corners or take their eyes off him. They really are following that first commandment of God to love him with all their heart, soul, mind and strength, even when it's difficult, even when they are under pressure. It can really be easy, I think, in those times to yeah, step away from God, to take our eyes off him. But God wants us to keep trusting, to keep looking towards him. And that is my final point is in the disappointment, is simply to look for God in the disappointment. Because God does not abandon us when we're suffering, but he actually comes closer to us. After Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say these words to the king, uh, we didn't have it in our reading, but they are indeed thrown into the furnace as they do not bow down and worship. And as they're thrown in, the king and his advisors look into the fiery furnace to see what's happening. And if you know the story, you might know what King Nebuchadnezzar and the others see. They don't see three people, but they see four people in the fiery furnace. Lots of speculation about who that fourth uh, person could be. On one level, it's not that disappointing. Um, not that important. Uh, Daniel says that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar says it looks like someone who has the appearance of the sons of God, whatever that means. Maybe it was an angel, maybe it was God himself walking around. But they look in and there are four people in there. God is with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in that moment. He is there, right alongside us, or right alongside them. And Daniel doesn't even actually say whether Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego notice this fourth person in there. They know, obviously know something's not happened because they're then let out of the fiery furnace and they come out totally unburned. Looking back in my life, I know actually from some of those difficult times I've gone through, as I shared at the beginning, I've not known God with me in the moment, but looking back, have known God has been with me in those times. I can remember when um, Ada and I wanted to start a family and I had a miscarriage, and that was really, obviously, extremely upsetting. But I can remember sensing God there with us when a friend of ours came and prayed for us in a park. God was somehow there, in the suffering, in the hurt, in the pain and the disappointment with us. When we're suffering, we can often begin to focus on us, can't we? We ask the question, why? Why God, why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. Actually, I think when we're feeling like that, what we need to do is rather than just go, why God? 
is to open our eyes and say, where are you, God? Because I believe he is close at hand with us. One of the names, indeed, of our God, isn't it, is Emmanuel. God with us. We have a God who doesn't stay aloof and above all the evil and stuff that happens on this earth, but we have a God who came down in Jesus to be amongst us, to live with us, to suffer, to die. He knows what it is through Jesus to suffer, to die, to have disappointment. And he promises to be there with us in it and through it. But ultimately, what he does promise is that one day, that, if we put our trust in him, that will all come to an end. There's going to be a day where all tears, pain, and disappointment will be wiped away and forgotten. But until that moment, we need to remember those things. We need to not go through our disappointments on our own. We need to remain faithful to God and look for him day by day. Amen.